and invite our children forward for a story right up here in front of this little screen. If you'd like to come, come on, guys. Come on, Michaela, Mitchell. Anybody else? Right up here. I've got a couple pictures I want to show you. All right, so we're going to rewind this screen here. Do you think Jesus cares about little things in life? What do you think? This was actually Mitchell over here who was holding this little butterfly. He took the picture of you out in the front yard with that. Do you remember that? No. The sun hit it just right, and there was this little butterfly that had been right in his hand there. In fact, that one had actually died, so it was kind of a sad-looking situation. But does God care about all the details of life, even a little butterfly like that? Yeah. He must. He gives the butterfly all kinds of abilities to even live and to become, go from one form to that form right there. So I want to share with you another picture now. There's Jesus with a dove. You can see the dove in his hand there. He's trying to tell the kids in his day that he cares about them more than all the birds and things that are around them. Well, here's a story that took place a few years ago. I was a new Christian. Listen, guys. And as a new Christian, I found out about the Sabbath. How many of you guys know about the Sabbath? Yeah, you're here on Sabbath morning, right? And we sang all those songs about the Sabbath and the scriptures about the Sabbath. And that song that, the song that Joe sang, Have I Done My Best for Jesus? I didn't know that song at the time, but I was trying to do my best for Jesus. I was in this Rogue Valley Youth Correctional Facility, and I had been an at-risk youth and got into some trouble. And they put me in here to learn from Marines and Navy Reserves and a whole list of people that were in the, the uh, armed services. And those guys were actually the staff. When they were not deployed, they were actually staffing this facility here. So what do you think they had us do day in and day out? Especially the older kids. I was one of the older kids. I was 18 years old. So what do you think they had me do? You think they made us line up and, and march? Yeah, they did that. They had us do push-ups, quite a few. They had us go and eventually become stronger and stronger until they felt like we were strong enough to beat every single football team in that facility on Saturday. <clears throat> and I had just learned about the Sabbath, and there was two problems with it. The Saturdays that we were not beating the other teams in the facility, they had three other teams, and they were smaller than us, and so we always beat them. It was kind of, kind of pathetic after a while. But on the Saturdays we were not competing against those guys, they would have us out there push-up position for, I don't know, how many minutes, and, and running, and all this called conditioning. And it was basically what they learned in the Army. They had us do that there. And after a while, I got kind of tired of that, not because I couldn't do it, but because I was thinking to myself, this is the Sabbath day. Doesn't God want me to be resting in him this day? What do you guys think? Should I have been resting instead of going out there and maybe shoving other people around in the football field and doing conditioning? Yeah, should I be resting instead of doing everything that they wanted to do to make us stronger to beat the other team? Yeah, I, think I got to the point where I thought so. In fact, one Saturday night after we'd been out there pushing each other out and practicing, I remember I had bruises on my shoulders and stuff. My shoulders were all sore because we were shoving into each other without pads. And I thought to myself, Lord, I just don't know if I can go out there on Sabbath anymore. So, I decided to tell the unit manager. He was the head of all those soldiers, if you will. And he, I told him, I'm not going to go out on Sabbath anymore. I'll, I'll practice another day of the week. And if you guys want to play a game another day of the week, I'll do that. But I'm not going to go out there and do conditioning and hurt people because my shoulders still hurt. And I'm not going to go out there and do that on Sabbath anymore. Now, 
that guy told me, I don't think God's that particular. And he told me, if you go do that, I think that I'm going to go ahead and punish you. And in there, they would punish you by, if you're a leader, they would then demote you down to basically being level zero, eventually. And I'd worked up to become level four leadership, and I was head, one of the heads of the leadership team that, that was there in that whole facility. And he said, I'm going to demote you. And his main idea was, was, is the Sabbath such a big deal? It's only one day a week. You can go out there, practice in the morning, and play the games you know, every month or so in the morning, and you can have the whole rest of the day off. Just go out there and do that. And I said to him, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go over to my leadership chair until you take it away from me, and I'm going to sit there and I'm going to read my Bible. I'll, maybe I'll go out and walk and look up at the mountains because there's beautiful mountains. You can see them around there. See the mountains? And he said, okay, if you do that, then you're going to watch the leadership board. Your points are going to go down, down, down until you are level zero. Well, I kept doing that every Sabbath. And I kept looking at the leadership board to see if my points, which was like my money, I could buy deodorant, I could buy all kinds of stuff. I kept watching to see, is it going to go down? Is it going to go down? And I kept looking at my level four leadership, expecting him to erase it, put level three leadership, and then level two, and then level one, and all the way down. And I kept watching, but nothing ever happened. He never demoted me. In fact, after that, I was promoted. I was promoted to be actually the vice president of the leadership association under his recommendation. So I think the Sabbath is something that is a big deal. It's not that we should just have a whole list of rules and think about all these things we can and can't do, but it's about spending time with Jesus. And so when you come to church, we hope you spend time with Jesus. When you go home, we hope you spend time with Jesus. We hope that during the week you're spending time with Jesus leading up to the Sabbath. Because in God's mind, the Sabbath is a big deal. He created it. Jesus died and rested in the tomb on the Sabbath. And he's going to have the Sabbath with us in the new earth. So I want to pray for you that when you go through life and you face people like that maybe, that you'll remember that it is a big deal. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. It's his day. And you want to spend it with him. All right, Michael, sit down. We're going to pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that even when you died for us, you rested in the tomb on the Sabbath, showing us that it was a day to remember not just the creation, but your recreation for dying when you died for us. And then you pointed forward to a resurrection life when you're going to come back soon and make this whole world new, and we're going to spend each Sabbath with you. I pray, Lord, for these young people. You know the challenges they're going to face ahead of them, maybe sooner than later. I pray that they'll remember the Sabbath is a special day with you, Jesus and that they will take their stand for you when the time comes because they've purposed in their hearts now that they would spend time with you and they want to spend time with you in the future too. Bless each one here. Help them have a wonderful time here in the rest of, of the church service in the afternoon and this beautiful day with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, before you go, I'm giving you this sheet and look for the slide during, this, during the sermon, right? It's going to be an answer to that. If you bring me the sheet at the door over there, I'll give you a sticker to put on the board there. If you... If you don't have your name on the board, then I'll give you something else, okay? We've already had a word of prayer together with the young people, but I want to have an added word of prayer. Father, thank you so much that you sent Jesus to clarify so many things, one of them being your love for us, your willingness to show mercy, your willingness to point us to the beautiful place that you have prepared for us. Guide us now as we look at the Sabbath to consider how it's really a day that points us back to our Father. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. I still remember 
sometime after I was released from that youth correctional facility there when the question was asked me, is the Sabbath a big deal? And I remember I still had a paper route when I, when I was released. And my twin brother and I, we had this huge route of people that we would deliver the paper to. And what worked out was they didn't have us delivering on Saturday at all. In fact, we could go in on Saturday night after Sabbath. We could pick up our huge bundle and deliver it Sunday morning. Or we could pick it up um, early, very early Sunday morning at like 2 or 3 in the morning. But I still remember thinking to myself, this is amazing. I have a job that I can deliver all these papers and get tips and all of this and earn some money for my college. And one time as I was rounding this corner right here, you can see it barely on the left side of the screen there. That's Elizabeth Street. I was rounding this corner onto Looking Glass Road and my twin brother was coming this way towards me. And I was going this way to see if he had gotten these customers down there. And as he was coming towards me, he said, he's like, Murray, I can't believe what, just, what happened at college today. What had happened was we would ride the bus out to the college. We would get, sometimes get home at different times. We wouldn't even see each other sometimes until this point in the route. And so he began to tell me the story of how he was told by certain well-meaning individuals that Jesus broke the Sabbath and Jesus sinned. Now, I mean, we're new, people, new Christians. It's... I, I, I didn't know what to say at the time. I just said, really? That Jesus sinned? That means he, he didn't die for their sins? He's not their sin. He, he sinned then. And, and I, I was just so shocked that somebody would go that far to get rid of the Sabbath that they would even say that Jesus sinned. I was almost mad. I mean, my, 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 my spiritual fervor was there. And I said, well, how did they explain that? And what it was was, they were using examples of when Jesus would pluck the, the wheat and he would go through the field and he would ignore their traditions, which had actually put shackles on the Sabbath. And they said, see, look, he broke the Sabbath there. And my brother explained to me how he was sitting across from these well-meaning Christians and there was two of them and one of them looked at the other one like, really, Jesus sinned by breaking the Sabbath? That's pretty startling, especially for a new believer. Maybe you've never heard that type of explanation before. For us, that was the first time. And they would point to different stories of the Bible like that one. And they would then say, well, all right, well, if he didn't sin, then he changed the Sabbath at least. He at least, he, he changed it from being uh, required to basically optional. You could choose which day you want. And they would, they would go that route. And so there we were as new Christians facing this idea. Jesus either broke the Sabbath or changed the Sabbath. Was that really the case from the Scriptures? And you all know the answer. Some of you already know the answer. But as a new Christian, if you could just feed that answer right in, you'd give it to me right then, wouldn't you? You would, you would let me know. You would help me encourage me. But I had to wrestle with that. And I believe that at creation, and back then I knew those basic teachings about the Sabbath from Genesis 1 and 2, from Exodus chapter 20. And the thought came to me, just a simple explanation. I don't believe Jesus broke the Sabbath or sinned but I believe he came to actually show us a better way about the Sabbath. Because at creation, we had the weekly cycle that was established. Everything needed for life was established. Perfect relationships had been established, especially that friendship among human beings. The care of the world was given to the human beings. Care for this world. And so I couldn't, if the Sabbath had been done away with, or Jesus really broke the Sabbath, it wasn't meaningful to him, then why did we still have all of these items? We still want to have a weekly cycle. We still want to have life. We still want to have friendships with people. 
We still have a huge, even a huge movement that talks about caring for our worlds. Where did all of that come from? It came from Jesus. And the one thing I didn't know at the time as I was thinking about this with my twin brother was they heard the voice of Jehovah God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That was also established at creation, along with the Sabbath. And somehow it was, they were linked together. They're right there in the same passages, aren't they? There's something about the Sabbath that helps us have that beautiful cycle during the week, that helps remind us that He has given us everything for life, that helps us strengthen our friendships, that helps us realize that we need to take care of this world the best we can until He comes. But the Sabbath is also the day when it reminds us to listen for the voice of Jesus. Because that's the Jehovah God we're talking about there. That's the Yahweh God. That's, I don't care how you pronounce it. That is the one who walks with them in the cool of the day. And that's the one who they said, send on that, on that street. My brother shared it to me years ago. And so those things were established at creation. So my simple understanding back then, and I'm going back and forth from my current understanding to my former understanding. My former understanding back then was who would ever want to say that Jesus sinned and that Sabbath didn't mean anything? And now my answer as I'm quite a few years later, is this. Genesis chapter 3, it says, The serpent said to the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. You shall be as God, knowing good and evil. You'll know as much as God. In fact, you will know more because you'll find out you won't die. God told you this, and they begin to question God's words, and basically implying that, that you, can, you can be equal or better than God, knowing good and evil. And that, I believe, is the crux of the matter. We want to look as we read our Bibles and believe that somehow our knowledge, deep down, our cherished ideas, can they really be greater than what God knows? There's no way. And so we use explanations to try to bolster our beliefs, such as Jesus sinned or the Sabbath was done away with, or Jesus totally ignored the Sabbath. And I don't think that takes place here in this church, but I know it takes place outside of here. But deep down, we cannot know more than the Creator. We should not even pursue that line of reasoning. We should not even try to explain away the very simple words of Scripture. Jesus taught something about the Sabbath, but before He did that in Luke, we found, and this is a huge summary slide, I know, we found in the book of Luke, as we get down to chapter 13, there's a whole lot leading up to that. We found out that God tells us that we are of eternal value, that we are more valuable than the sparrows, and that he would lay down his crown in humility for us. We learned that in this whole series we're on. We learned that he values us more than the barns and the wealth that we can accumulate and stock up. He wants us to be rich towards God. We learned that Jesus taught that our value should be found in us accepting him as our savior and us being kingdom seekers and in this journey we serve those we come in contact with happily but we don't keep going on forever and ever the world is eventually going to end jesus taught and so in this process we're to faithfully share his words with others this is just a summary of where we've been in the gospel of luke we learned a few weeks ago that our time is short and so we should share with that urgency we learned just last week that 
We should not be distracted when the towers fall, when the earthquakes like we've seen this week have take place. We should not be distracted by those. We should be aware of them, but focus on the fact that Jesus has been merciful to this world. He's trying to get their attention. He's trying to help them see the gospel, even through us. And we are no better than the ones who perish in those disasters. And so, as we've looked at all that in the Gospel of Luke, we're going to find now, as we look about the Sabbath question, that some begin to twist his words. And they don't even realize, as they're twisting his words, that he gives the Sabbath to us as a day of mercy, as a day to extend that love to others. And we go to Luke chapter 13. This is where we're talking about one of the Sabbath texts that were referred to, that Jesus broke the Sabbath, or that he did away with the Sabbath. And if you look here, in Luke chapter 13, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath day. Verse 10, And behold, a woman that had a spirit of infirmity, that's a tormenting spirit. You all know what that is, right? Sure you do. If you sin against God, and you've gone to God, and you've confessed your sin, and you've basically placed it, and realized it was Jesus who's died for that sin, you've asked him to forgive you of that sin, and then this spirit comes along, this, 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 these thoughts plague you that you're, you'll never be forgiven after you've already made that right with God or others. That's a tormenting spirit. Comes along and says, well, yeah, you're not good enough. It comes and basically tries to undo the very scriptures that you've claimed of reconciling with God or with someone around you. Now, we know about that, right? That we call it guilt in the human mind or whatever. But back then, even now, there, there was a spirit of infirmity upon this woman, this tormenting spirit who would come along to this lady for 18 years and some say link it to her disease, but if you look at it, she is crippled up, bowed down, couldn't lift herself up. And so can you imagine the thoughts of this tormenting spirit coming to her? You're worthless. You can only see the most shameful part of society, the very dirty, dusty feet of people that walk by you. She's all bent over. Can you imagine all the thoughts that could come to her mind? You've been stricken by God. This happened to you because of some sin. You read the seven sins in the book of Proverbs. Some of them believe, some of the rabbis taught that you would have leprosy because of one of those sins. So more than likely, something happened with her eyes because now her eyes are downcast. So imagine that coming to your mind. Maybe you coveted something. Do you know? Read the book of Job. You'll see all the things that his friends come with to try to cause Job to doubt. Imagine this thing happening to you that the spirit is holding you in bondage but also tormenting you along the way. And she's crippled up and she could not lift herself up. She could not unbind herself. You've seen, I've seen individuals, and even when you get older, things happen to your body, and, and you, it's out of control. You just think, wish that it could be reversed. You wish, can you imagine what she's going through? Folding up upon herself, being bowed down for 18 years. And here Jesus is, he comes to the synagogue, which more than likely she's come to for many years. And what does he do? He sees her. He doesn't ignore her. He doesn't ignore her need. He doesn't say, well, maybe we can take care of this later. And some people believe, and they've cited this text, and that's what happened back in one of my college days, that Jesus breaks the Sabbath here, but he does not. If we don't know Jesus well, then we could say he breaks the Sabbath. If we know him as our friend, we know that he's actually fulfilling the Sabbath. A day of sanctification, a day of making someone holy, lifting up their burden. And what does he do? He calls to her. This is the very plan of salvation. In Ephesians chapter 1, before the foundation of the world, God called you. And the word in the Greek is he spoke you. 
He knew your name. He calls this woman. Imagine the joy and the hope that's kind of starting to build up. Okay, maybe. Is this it? Or maybe doubt at first from that tormenting idea in your mind. Maybe he's going to condemn me. But nonetheless, he sees her. He calls out to her. She cannot see. She cannot look up. But Jesus can see. Jesus calls. And he calls to her. But let's pause the story. He also calls to us. See, her case is our case. We typically will do a separation and say, well, that person doesn't totally apply to me and just kind of read on by it, but this does apply to us. Like her, despite all of our efforts after truth and goodness, there's a spirit of infirmity in us, an incompetency to do the good we should do or would, a subtle, mysterious malady whose origin is in the will, a malady inscrutable to human eyes, inmedicable by human art. Medicine doesn't work. There is but one who can make us straight. The healer of the impotent woman can heal us. Only Christ, the strong Son of God, can redeem us from the weakness which mars our service. But he will do it if we will let him. What is this commentator talking about? The sin that easily so, so easily besets us could apply to that. Could apply to the cherished sins of our lives. Could apply to the blinders we have in knowing God fully. But nonetheless, it's something that cannot be healed by human art. Do you have something in your life? It could be an emotional wound. It could be financial problems. It could be a whole list of things. Just fill yourself in. Is there something that cannot be handled in your life by human hands that you need God to take care of in your life? You can fill in the blank as to what that is. And it may be that right now you feel totally fine with God, but in the future you might find yourself facing a situation where you're like, God, I just can't handle this. Please help me. All you got to do is get into some position of leadership. You know after a while that you're in those situations. So her case is our case. And so as I think of this story of this woman, Jesus seeing her, Jesus sees our case. Jesus calling to her, he calls out to us and our struggles. And he says to her, woman, you are loose from your infirmity. That very thing that's plagued you for 18 years, that very thing that's, that's kept you feeling downcast, literally, and downcast spiritually, I'm freeing you from that. And he laid his hands on her, touching her. Immediately, she was made straight and glorified God. This is a good story, isn't it? Now, did he break the Sabbath? No, he didn't break the Sabbath. He's going to be accused of that in a moment. But he loosed her on the Sabbath. He freed her. He unbound her. He unchained her. It's another word for loosed is, let's say there's a gate that you cannot open. You, you want to go through, but you can't. You, somebody opens it for you. It's like relying upon a higher authority. to get. You imagine an ancient Near Eastern, uh, for instance, fortress, or king has his palace, and he's got his, you know, gates along the way. You don't have access, and you wish you could. You could just, if I could just approach the king, or if I could just imagine the door opening, loosening, loosening, opening up. That's another translation for this Greek word. Here is somebody who has felt distant from God, maybe even condemned, we're going to find in a moment, by the religious leaders of her day, and Jesus has freed her, and he has opened up something that she has never experienced before. Who wouldn't glorify God? Who wouldn't praise God? Now, this happened to me a couple of years ago, emotionally. 
And if you've ever taken stock of maybe things that have happened to you in the past, in the, in the, in the helping professions, typically the helpers uh, get wounded in the process of helping others. You know that ha- takes place. And if you've ever done ministry with anybody, you know that sometimes your very pure motives are turned back on you. And it happened to me for a little while there. And I'm, I was going through my motions of devotions, if you will, just going through the motions every day. And I said, Lord, this is just not, there's, something's wrong. I'm not depressed. I'm not going any kind of valley like that. But there's something that's, that's hindering me. And what it took was some time alone. And by the way, if you call me tomorrow or, or Monday, I'm going to be backpacking up in Lassen because I need some more time alone. But it was some time alone. And I won't get your cell phone call until Tuesday or Wednesday. I took that time alone and said, Lord, what is it? And he showed me that it was more than just things that had happened in ministry. It was actually further back that I had never really forgiven God for the terrible childhood that I had had to go through. The divorce, the parents going into counseling, that it was futile, never worked. The pain of seeing the, the father go away and never come back, except for on visitation days with a, someone supervising because nobody trusted the guy that you loved as a child. And so I said, okay, Lord, why does that hurt me so? I thought I'd become a Christian, given you. He's like, yeah, but you never laid this at my feet. You laid all this stuff. You made your whole laundry list of things that you had done in your pre-Christian days, but you've never laid this at my feet. And in a way, I was bound until I did. I, I, I didn't realize it all the time. I was functioning. People would think I was normal. Everything was fine. Normal. What is normal? But I needed to lay that at Jesus' feet. And maybe there's something that you need to lay at his feet. And in that way, you enter the story. And in that way, once you were freed from that, or once you received some healing from that, once he says, you know what, Murray? I was there all along. I arranged that counselor who tried to cause your parents to get back together. I arranged a loving set of grandparents who were mentoring you spiritually along the way. I, and I started watching how God was there all along. I can't blame him. That cannot be in the way of my relationship with God anymore. Not that I was logically even blaming him out loud. But he showed me, step by step, I was with you. I touched you in that situation. I touched you in that situation. I preserved your life when your dad struck your mother when you were in the womb and you were born premature and then the doctors burst your lungs. I was there all along the way. And so, as I read this story this week, I thought to myself, there's something that I need God to straighten out And maybe in the future he'll reveal more to me. But he's already helped me straighten this part out. He's already helped me straighten out other wounds that have taken place. And let's not just play games here. Y'all have wounds. And some of them may be scars at this point because God's brought you through it. But there may be others that will come in the future or there may be things that you're dealing with right now that you need a healing touch with. And let's not be in denial about it because denial really gets in the way of dealing with it. Let's let the Savior deal with these situations, whatever they may be. And it's interesting, this idea of making something straight is a verb, of course, in the Greek, and it occurs in this idea of setting up a tabernacle, lifting up the hands which hang down. This is all these different references using this very same verb, and you start putting together, and what God wants is for us to realize. And, of course, the setting makes all the difference. But read your theology into this text. The body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Here God was literally just restoring the glory that he wanted to have shine through that woman's life. 
And that's what he wants to do for us. Lifting up, making straight, holding up those hands that are tired. So this is really, the Sabbath then is a day to be touched by the Savior. That's what this day is all about. And we must let loose on the Sabbath, not in a sense of carefree, whatever we want to do, but we must allow him to set us free from whatever it is that binds us, from whatever it is that holds us in those positions that life has dealt us. And Luke 13 says, he laid his hands upon her and immediately she was made straight. And what did she do? She glorified God. And what's the reaction? This is really why some people don't like the Sabbath. Because they themselves have a sad feeling when it comes to the day. When, whereas others have a glorified, wow, praise the Lord, this is the Sabbath. And the ruler of the synagogue, the preacher, the preacher. Now, I don't know what happened to this guy to get him to this point, but it's a slow fade, isn't it? Something must have molded him along the way to get him to the point where he is willing to have one of his congregants, if you will. More than likely, she's been coming there for a while. He's moved with indignation. Not moved by the experience, but moved with anger. What, why did this all of a sudden boil out of that guy? Well, that's probably a whole other sermon, isn't it? But he's angry because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And he answers, and he doesn't turn to Jesus. Common mistake, common mistake of those who are Satan's right-hand helpers is that they turn to a multitude of people rather than talking to the person. And this is what happens. He goes to the whole multitude, becomes a critic of Jesus to a whole group, doesn't come to Jesus privately, just right out there. He begins to spread this whole thing around. Hey, that kind of reminds me of Satan walking amongst the fiery stones close to God, and then it says he was corrupted by his widespread gossip, his trade. So this is what starts happening here. This synagogue ruler has been shaped along the way to get to the point where here's the very creator of the universe, he, which he won't acknowledge. Here's the very healer of souls, which he won't acknowledge. Here's the very one who's touching somebody who he can never touch and heal because of whatever's in his heart, the anger and everything. And he's jealous of Jesus to the point where he begins to become a critic of Jesus and says, there are six days which men ought to work in them. Therefore, come and be healed and not on the day of the Sabbath. You broke the Sabbath. So that little experience I had as a, as a college student, it still happened a long time ago, didn't it? It still happens today. People start looking at Jesus because they don't want to have this beautiful day of blessing. And he is in having indignation, the same type of indignation that took place in Matthew when they shouted, Hosanna! And what did the religious leaders want? Silence those kids. They were indignant. He's of the same cloth. You know, this can't happen on the Sabbath day. Not under my watch. You can't have, you can't, he, you, he can't answer your prayer request for 18 years on the Sabbath day. No healing, no touch from the Savior. I'm okay with you refraining for 18 years and being crippled. In fact, I want you to be crippled even longer. Now, what would cause this guy to start, and you say that's not what he said, but that's what he's saying, isn't it? He doesn't want the spotlight on Jesus. He doesn't want the spotlight on this woman who has been in the vicinity for 18 years. They all know about it. Why? Because it reveals his inadequacy. A mirror is put right in front of his face, and the mirror is Jesus. And I think that's where we all have to pause every day. Deep down, we need to look at the mirror of Jesus and say, Lord, am I like you? Why do I feel this anger? Why do I feel this way? Now, 
he wants her to refrain, basically, from being healed and come back some other day. That's the day when the Savior's there. That's the day when he's always maintained his creation. If you look at the Genesis account, you find he, re- he works for six days. He rests on the seventh day. Mankind rests. Who's maintaining creation on that rest day? The Savior, the Lord himself. He's the one who causes the sun to shine. You read all kinds of Desire of Ages quotes. He's the one who makes that flower open up for you. He's the one who causes the rain to, to help the dry, thirsty earth on the Sabbath day. Jesus will say, my Father works even till now. Maintaining his creation out of love. But you have to refrain, this synagogue ruler says. And let's, let's list off what they would have refrained from. Buying or selling. Spending time at the synagogue would have been what they would have done. Instead of spending time working, they would have not worked. They would have spent time at the synagogue in scripture and nature study. They would have spent time with their family. But notice, for some reason, just the mechanics of Sabbath keeping did not allow them to accept the Savior for some reason. That they became correctors of those who would desecrate the day. Since when are we the correctors of who desecrates the day or who doesn't? I think you could put a scripture standard there and say, here are the principles we can find from the scriptures. Do I buy and sell on the Sabbath? No, I don't buy and sell on the Sabbath. If I can avoid it, unless it's an emergency, unless, let's say somebody has a, needs a, something filled medically, I'm going to help them get that taken care of. Do I go out to a restaurant on Sabbath? And if I step on your toes, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I'm just throwing out illustrations here. Do I go out to restaurants on Sabbath? No, I don't go out to restaurants on Sabbath because I don't want that person to work for me and be my manservant or my maidservant on the Sabbath day. Is it a list that I keep? No, it's just I have things that I want to do with the Lord on the Sabbath day. And I would want that person to eventually, if they were reached by Jesus and they saw the beauty of this this day that we have that we sometimes take for granted, that they would rest in Jesus. And I wouldn't be a stumbling block for that. And so... But though I go around correcting everybody. No, I don't. I don't come around to your house and have my list of, of hey, Sabbath keeping. I used to be that way. I did. I really did used to be that way. I, I used to be that way. What kind of music you listen to? What kind, I would go everything down the list. And when I visit with you, I would say, you are going against the word of God. I'd open the back of my Bible, and I had a whole sheet there of things that I would, I would tell you. I was a synagogue ruler. And it's one thing to lovingly rebuke somebody, to say, you know what, I spend that day with my Lord. I don't want anything else to interfere, so no, I don't buy or sell. So I'm sorry, I, I, I'm not going to go out to eat with you. That's different than saying, don't you know? And just, of course they know. That's probably why they're bringing it up to you in the first place. They're wanting to see if they can trust you and see if, if you're going to condemn them or not. Or they're just doing it flippantly. We'll get to that in a minute. But my question is this, is refraining Sabbath keeping? In and of itself is refraining Sabbath. I refrain from things, but is it in and of itself Sabbath keeping? I refrain to remain. I refrain to remain in a relationship with the Lord. Remaining and freeing others is Sabbath keeping. That's what Jesus models here. This is um, from a devotional by Ellen White. I can get you the exact uh, phraseology and all this of where that book is. But he was indignant that Christ had caused an unhappy woman, an unhappy woman, to sound a note of joy upon the Sabbath. In a loud voice, harsh with passion. So imagine Jesus, he's dealing with this woman, and now this guy's like, whoa! Just making a huge spectacle of it. Escalating, if you will. 
It says, there are six days which men ought to work, and them therefore come and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Come on one of those other days. So did you catch that? Ellen White's saying, this guy was indignant because someone had made a note of joy upon the Sabbath. Note of joy. Praise God. And that interrupted his whole train of thought, his whole crafted way of doing things in life at the synagogue. Jesus ruined everything with his simple saying to this woman, seeing her, saying to her, and touching her. And the question came to my mind as I read that quotation in, in the text. Oh, who really knows about Sabbath keeping anyway? Do I know everything about it? No, I don't. I believe this man was undermining the Creator because he did not know Jesus. You undermine somebody because you really don't know them very well. Or you assume that you know them and you really are just reading into what they're doing. That's judging motives, which is actually against Matthew 18. But he didn't know Jesus. He did not see Jesus as the Creator. And therefore, he began accusing him of Sabbath breaking because he, as a synagogue ruler, set the rules. I also believed I believe that he might have thought he knew more than Jesus. After all, you're going to correct somebody because you know more than them. He knows more than Jesus? Really? If he knew so much, then why couldn't he heal this one after 18 years of her being like that? What's Jesus' reply to this man? The Lord answers him and says, You hypocrites! Doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? Now, I've put a whole bunch of words in there. You hypocrites! Wearers of masks. You as a synagogue ruler, wear a mask to the synagogue. When you go home, you're a different way. You all know that happens. You all know sometimes it may be a struggle in your life that, that you know what, we come here, everything, oh, everything's fine, but we know deep down everything's not fine at home. Things go, happen in the week. Well, this guy made it an art and we all know what hypocrites are back in the ancient Near East. They're the ones who wear the mask. They're the actors on the stage. Jesus says to them, you're all a bunch of actors. Each one of you on the Sabbath go at his house, and he knows what goes on at their homes, but he doesn't point out anything specific. But at your house, you let loose, you free your ox or your donkey from the stall. In the city houses, that would be inside the home. When you're going out your front door, you open it up and let them out. You let your chickens out. You let, you let your animals out. We all know that takes place on agrarian societies. It happened this morning in my house. I had to let the sheep out of the sheep pen so they could get the big thing of water that they wanted to refresh water. And you lead them away to watering. So you're willing to refresh an animal on the Sabbath, but now you're acting like an animal, angry, and want to basically, and eventually they want to kill Jesus over his Sabbath keeping. You want to refresh an animal but not a woman who's been crippled and been tormented and wondered about her relationship and salvation with God for all these 18 years. And I'm telling her, I'm telling her by touching her that heaven touches her need. I'm telling her by touching her, you are forgiven, basically. Heaven has never condemned you, and you're trying to take that joy away. And he says, and not this woman being a daughter of Abraham. That's a key expression. You could research it. Basically, she's a member of your faith community whom Satan hath bound. She hasn't done anything wrong. These 18 years, shouldn't she have been freed or loosed from this bond on the day of the Sabbath? And listen, he's saying, quit wearing your mask. Take it off. You've already shown it by your anger. Just take it all the way off. 
You all do these things on the Sabbath. Let's let her be free on the Sabbath day. So today, I hope it's a day of joy for us. Not, not like this mask-wearing stuff, because behind that mask that, of that synagogue ruler was shame. And, and a lot of things going on, he, he was angry because of things that were going on in his life, and he put on the mask to, to do the part. And you know sometimes that happens, where you, 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 you're playing the part, but you really don't feel it. You know, that, that's human nature. But here he is right in front of Jesus, and he won't admit it. And so this story brings out two responses to Jesus, his Sabbath-keeping. Either there be joy on this day or shame on this day. And that's why the question came to me as I was reading it once again. What does this day bring to you, Murray? Does it bring joy or shame in hiding? I put it before you as well. Joy over one who repents. This should be the happy experience we have here each week at Anderson. Joy because glorious things are done by Jesus here. And deep down, the synagogue ruler just wanted Jesus to not receive the praise. He wanted the praise. And so I believe there's two extremes in Sabbath-keeping churches. There are the Sabbath police and the Sabbath desecrators. The Sabbath police, which is what I used to be, very me-focused. In other words, if you don't fit my list, then I'm going I'm to basically let you know. Because it's not necessarily even about the morality of it. It's about my reputation. I publicly said, these are the ways that you should keep the Sabbath, so you should keep the Sabbath those ways, and you're not keeping it, so you're undermining me. So it's very me-focused. It becomes critical, mean, and the fruit is always, almost, of Sabbath police, accusers and angry people. And you know, if that's where you're at, I would say, come to Jesus. He's the one who's saying in this text, take off the mask, recognize that's where you're at, and then ask the question, why am I so angry? And then the Sabbath desecrators, they're also me-focused. All right, I didn't prepare for the Sabbath. I'm going to go get a meal at the restaurant. And what is it about? You know, it's, they become critical if you even raise a standard and say, you know what, this is a day with the Lord. I'm not going to go with you, sorry. I think we need to rest and let other people rest and, and spend time with Jesus, yeah, and our family and all of that. But then if you don't go along, if you go against what they perceive is their, what they want to do, they become critical of you. You're legalistic. They become mean. They use the same very tactics that this synagogue ruler uses. They'll circulate around and say how mean you are. And then the fruit of them is to be accusers, and they're always on the defensive. Oh, that's, that's, he's talking about me. Of course I'm talking about you. I'm talking about myself here too, okay? I'm talking about human nature. So these are two extremes, but here are the Sabbath refreshers in the middle. They are self-critical, which means, you know what? Maybe I said the wrong thing to that person, you know? Maybe I gave the wrong impression. Maybe I, maybe I misspoke. And y'all, I think I misspoke a few weeks ago. I want to let you know that the official stance of the Seventh-day Adventist Church is if you want to eat meat, that's your choice. Just make sure it's clean. You understand that? And if, and if God has convicted you about vegetarianism, then follow that. But I'm self-critical of myself a lot. I re, I, I, my wife watches me watch my sermons. Okay? She wonders, why are you doing this? I'm going back through every once in a while just to evaluate myself. Did I say something that was off the wall there? You say, well, that's a waste of time. Well, it's not happening on the clock, mind you. It's happening in my own free time, usually on a Sabbath afternoon when you're all done and I you know, think everything's fine. I'm watching and saying, okay, Lord, Maybe I came across too strong. Maybe I didn't come across strong enough. And so I'm very self-critical. 
Not because I don't have self-esteem, but because I, I want to make sure that I'm coming across well for Jesus. They're usually kind, and the most kindful Sabbath keeper, I've, refresher I've ever seen is my grandfather. Whereas he would make sure that he had everything prepared, he would not, and he would not go through, over certain boundaries unless there was a specific need that could not wait. And I still remember the peace fulfilling on Sabbath at his house. Very kind. He would even walk by as I'm watching Saturday morning cartoons, and he had the right as the head of the house to basically unplug that TV, but he realized where we were at. And he would be kind to us. The fruit of Sabbath refreshers is that they are edifiers, they build up, and they're happy to do that. And the result is praise to God. And I believe that's exactly what was happening back in Genesis, and that's what God wants us to do today. And FBI students, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up soon, but I'm going to give you your answer before we do. What happens if we do not receive the day as a blessing? If we don't have it as a joy? If we're on one of those extremes? Hebrews chapter 4, young people, is your answer for your sheet. And if you read Hebrews chapter 4 in your Bible, whatever version it is, you'll find the answer here. The whole chapter, you can read it on the Sabbath afternoon if you want. But as we look here in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, it says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. It's not fear as in that you're afraid of God, but a humbleness to say, Okay, Lord, am I resting in you? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we, have, we who have believed, verse 3, do enter that rest, as he has said, I, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works, and again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter it because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying in David, today, after such a long time as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not have afterwards spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. You get the salvation language here? Ceasing from works, not being disobedient because you're in Christ. And some people say oh, there's another day mentioned here. It's pretty simple. Today is a day of salvation. The Sabbath is a day of salvation. That's all the explanation you have to go on this text. You can get into all this stuff about whatever day it is. It's talking about the same seventh day, and it's linking it to salvation, and that's exactly why, if we do not receive the day as a blessing, then I believe it brings about one of those extremes, and eventually it severs our connection with the Savior. And so there I was at Milo Academy. I was a cook in the cafeteria there. And you know, when you have 200 students, you're thinking, man, there's an awful lot of work to do on the Sabbath for those students. And I went to the food service director. This is back when I was a synagogue ruler type person. And I said, you know what? We need to make sure that they all have sack lunches on Thursday or Friday. And they take them back to their dorm rooms and they eat that at their, in their dorm rooms. Now, okay. Y'all fix a meal for your family on the Sabbath, right? Hmm? So that's what that came back to me. He's like, you know what? 
this, we are basically their parents when they're parents. I mean, they're here. They're relying on us. Let's prepare Thursday and Friday so that we have everything all ready to go, right? Other than sticking it in the oven and putting it out. And let's give them a Sabbath blessing. Let's, 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 let's be their family on this day. And I didn't know what to do with that at first. I thought, yeah, he's just not keeping the Sabbath. And I just started getting angry almost. That's a sign, isn't it? But I got back to my little house near there, right by this bridge, to the right of the bridge, as you're looking at the picture. And I said, well, wait a minute. We do the same thing at home. We get the whole house cleaned up, and we prepare all the food, and we stick it in the refrigerator and put it out on the Sabbath day. I mean, it's not for 200 people. I understand that. But it's the same principle, isn't it? So I think what I'll do is this. I'll go to work on the Sabbath day, and I'll donate all that money back to the church, and I'm going to put that meal out for those kids. I'm going to do it with a smile. I'm going to put, and I'm going to put a scripture up there. When they come through line, it's going to be a scripture, and there's going to be music playing in the background, so the Sabbath that I am there, it's going to be a blessing. Now, how did I flip-flop so fast? Was I compromising? No, somebody took the time to reason with me and say, you know what, Murray, you're just kind of figuring this out. You, you need to find the principle of mercy in the Sabbath day. That they're basically your children that you're feeding. And do the pre- let's do the preparation. Let's not have very much work. Let's even put the dishes in the sink and leave them until Sunday morning. Because we could do that. We had, we had huge sinks in the cafeteria. We could fill them all up full of it. And then come in Sunday and deal with that. So that's what we did. And I can tell you what, it was a blessing for the kids. And it was a blessing for me. And it, there was the rejoicing there that this text is talking about. And this work that Christ had done was in harmony, right here, and so was mine, with the sanctification of the Sabbath day. The people on this side and that side wondered and were glad at the work which had been wrought for this suffering woman. And there were those whose hearts were touched, whose minds were enlightened. That's what happened when I was there at this academy too. Who would have acknowledged themselves the disciples of Christ had it not been for the lowering, angering countenances of the, of the rabbis. Notice, they are stooping and lowering, whereas the woman is being lifted up. And so the result of Jesus' healing, and even in that little illustration there, was I had students who were thankful that we would prepare. Thankful, and they would be glad to come in on Sunday morning, bright and early. You see, the Sabbath points us back to what was established at creation. All those things we saw, right? That beautiful relationship with the Lord. And we were, we were helping those young people do that. And Jesus was helping this lady have that restored. But it also points to what was accomplished at the cross. That's where Hebrews 4 comes in. It's a day of salvation. He rests in the tomb. They won't even anoint his body for burial. He rests. He did not have to rest, did he? Just like at creation, he, did not physically, he was not physically tired. He physically could have just died because that's exactly what he did. He chose. He laid down his life. He could have taken it up again right then, but he chose conscientiously to wait until the first day of the week to be resurrected because at the cross, all those things were accomplished as well. The same thing at creation, the weekly reminder. Every time we come together, we're reminded of his love, his sacrifice, that he gave his life for us, that he has atonement for our relationships, that he took dominion from Satan and will give it back to us and uncripples us every week. And then that's exactly that whole cycle will happen again when he returns because when he returns, he heals every every soul that comes to him, doesn't he? If I die with my eyes, my sight gone, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to see him face to face. 
All those things will happen. And that weekly cycle will continue. Everything for life will take place. Restored relationships will be there forever. The care of the world is given back to us. I mean, can you believe that? That even heals and restores the trust that he had in Adam. He restores that. And so I believe we need to let loose on the Sabbath. Not in a sense of letting everything go, but in the sense of taking joy in this day. Because he is all we need. He needs to touch us today. So today I'm gonna, I've invited Julius to sing our closing song. And this closing song points out that Jesus is all we need. He is all we need. He needs to touch us in some way. And if for some reason today you've come here and you need to have a touch from the Savior, listen to the words of this song. And at the end of the song, we'll have a moment of silence for you to bring that to the Savior today. Thank you, Julius. A friend I'll always have a 
Song said, you've heard my cries, you saw my sighs, you listened to all of my whys. In the still of the silence, I felt your presence, and you stretch your hand, make me stand, now I am whole. If that's your desire, I just want to invite you to bow your heads for prayer and just bring it before the Lord here in a few moments of silence. Father in heaven, we're so thankful that you sent Jesus to show us not about Sabbath breaking, but about Sabbath freeing and letting loose, freeing us, opening doors of joy, love, and praise. We pray that we will experience this each day as we spend that time with you, but each Sabbath as we come together, may we experience a foretaste of what it's like to be in your heavenly courts with the whole universe singing hallelujah, praise and honor to your name. Lord, we want to lift you up. We're thankful for your sacrifice. And Father, thank you for sending our Lord and Savior. Help us to stay connected with you. And help us to see the Sabbath as a day of joy. In Jesus' name, amen.